You are listening to Haftarah, the Shir series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftarah. And here at the database of Tabi Shua Eisenberg, as was mentioned in the previous Haftarah Shir, at the moment of this recording is Motzei Shabbos Shuva and it is Erev Yom Kippur. And we are now doing the second Haftarah Shir of the night, which is going to be the Haftarah for Mincha time of Yom Kippur, which is the famous Haftarah, perhaps the most famous Haftarah in existence. And that is the Haftarah of Maftir Yonah. In this Haftarah, we read the entire Sefer Yonah. It is um, the one of only two times that we read an entire Sefer for a Haftarah. The other one is for Parshas Vayishlach. It is Sefer Ovadia, which is one parak long. Sefer Yonah is four prakim long, and we have the Minog of also adding three psukim from Micha, which we also read earlier today at the moment of this recording, which was on Shabbos Shuvah. Uh, where we had what I referred to as the Teshuva Triad, the three Nevi'im of the Treasar, Hoshea, Yoel, and Micha were all featured. And we reference Psukim for Micha once again. Perhaps a, a connection already between Sefer Yonah and the Psukim that we referenced for Micha. The Psukim for Micha are the source for the Minhag of Tashlich, or throwing our Averis into the river, and yet we find in the story of Yonah, Yonah gets thrown into the river. And maybe there's something to be said about um, that when we throw our veris into the river, just like when it comes to kaparos, we, we take the money, we put it around our head, or the chicken we put it around our head, and just like any carbon, we say that this should really be me. I should be the one that's sacrificing myself. We throw our veris in, and Hashem um, accepts our teshuva, and maybe the way Yonah actually was thrown overboard, maybe that, that, that there's something to be said about um, Yonah, um, and the, the self-sacrifice, but I think that there is something way more fundamental about the choosing of Yonah, at the very least, to talk about for our Haftarah. So we will get to all of that. Let's, uh, well, let's uh, first dedicate the Shir, and, of course, the Haftarah of Yonah, Maftar uh, Yonah, it is, of course, all of the all of the uh, four prakim of Yonah, plus those three psukim from Micha. Um, the th- the psukim from Micha can be found in Perak Zion, psukim Yerches through Chaf, so that's 7, 18 through 20. And of course, the the balance of the Haftarah, most of the Haftarah, is from Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, 1, 1 in Yonah, going all the way to the very end of the book of Yonah, which I believe is Dalid Ches 4, 8. Okay, so let's talk about this Haftarah, this very famous Haftarah, very famous story. And, of course, this is, again, is one of the most well-known readings in any Jewish liturgy. This is a story that's known throughout the world. Everyone knows the story of Jonah and the whale, um, whether or not you believe that the dug, the fish that's referred to as a whale, is um, irrelevant right now. And the obvious connection between this reading and the Dave Yom Kippur is that they share the overall theme of the day, teshuva, repentance, as well as Hashem's rachamim, his mercy and patience for his creations. Indeed, this connection is seen plainly from the narrative as Yonah is commanded by God to warn the great city of Nineveh to do teshuva from their evil behavior. And although Yonah desperately longs for their retribution, it seems, Hashem is adamantly against withholding his mercy from his people, from his creatures. And that's really what the story is about, plainly. Now, although Sefer Yonah is certainly an appropriate reading selection for Yom Kippur, one has to wonder what makes it the choicest, right? We always look for the best option. Undoubtedly, the book of Yonah is not 
the only demonstration of teshuva, not even the only post-Mosaic narrative of teshuva and Hashem's mercy in Tanakh. Just for example, Sefer Shoftim is packed with accounts in which the Bnei Israel are inspired by the given leader of the period to renounce their idolatrous practices and they return to Hashem. Even the story of Shemshon, for example, and his major awakening to return to Hashem from his controversial deeds by sacrificing himself to knock off the plishtim on behalf of Hashem and the Bnei Israel, that also demonstrates the power of one moment of teshuva. Maybe we could have selected the narrative from Sefer Malachim, which I referenced earlier in the previous half Torah Shir, which we, uh, where we spoke about Yeshayahu. I said maybe we should take the passage from Malachim, in which Eliyahu Navi responds to the national idolatry um, with his zealous decree of a drought on Hashem's behalf, after which he triumphs over the prophets of Baal, the rain god, at Har Carmel, and his his carbon is accepted by Hashem's fire, and at the very end we all scream out, Hashem hu Elokim, Hashem hu Elokim. It would have been a great climactic story to finish off Yom Kippur. So there are many stories that involve teshuva and could have fit the bill, fit the role for Yom Kippur's midday haftarah. Yet traditionally, of course, we read Yonah, which is in some ways an enigmatic and seemingly, you know, you, you would call it sci-fi, of course, um, we, we, we know that uh, this, uh, this is a, a book in Navi, so it happened. It's, a, it's historical. Um, but it's, it's, it's more fantastical by nature, and it's centered on some foreign nation's judgment before Hashem and their journey to repent. So the question is why? Right? Why, why do we need you know, this, uh, this, this uh, story of Yonah and the people of Nineveh? One might even ask more fundamentally why this episode in history is even necessary for our Tanakh in the first place. At a face value, the story has nothing to do with Am Yisrael. And as was mentioned, the lessons of Teshuvah and mercy within are seemingly conveyed just as well as in other more relevant stories in Tanakh. And if we wanted to you know, get the themes out of Teshuvah, do we really need the entire book of Yonah to do that? Perhaps another question we can ask. A related issue one might raise is that the Sefer containing the story of Ninveh's Teshuvah process has very little to do with Ninveh's repentance. If you think about it, Ninveh plays but a minor role in our story. About a quarter of the book, right, 11 out of the 40 verses in the Haftarah, actually takes place in Ninveh and recounts their repentance, but most of the story is not about Ninveh. Furthermore, their story pales in comparison to that which the Navi gives more attention to, which is the frustrated prophet in Yonah who wants nothing to do with Ninveh. Right, Ninveh has its 15 verses of 15 minutes of fame, of fame, while the overarching story from the beginning to end is more about the private life of the reluctant messenger. That is Yonah. So that being said, if the book's selection is due to the theme of Teshuvah, which is most plainly exemplified by Ninveh's repentance, so one could have chosen the 11 verses depicting Yonah's brief address to the city and their moving Teshuvah process. Right? We could have had just Parak Gimel, for example. Parak Gimel of the story is where Ninveh does Teshuvah. Yonah addresses them, they do Teshuvah. The Navi famously tells us that Hashem sees not their... You know, not their fasting, not their sackcloth and ashes, but Hashem sees them changing their ways, right? It's something that winks back to what we spoke about in the previous half Torah share, the idea that Hashem doesn't just want us to fast, but he wants to see real teshuva. And that is all portrayed beautifully in Parak Gimel of Yonah. The Haftarah could have been one chapter long instead of four. And the Haftarah would perhaps be relatively less exciting, especially for the kids who want to hear the story about Yonah being sucked into the mouth of a fish, 
But wouldn't it be also more to the point? Right? The people are warned of impending doom. They make a sincere and successful effort to return to Hashem, not merely by way of meaningless fasting and mourning, but again improving their ways. Uh, that, that, that's, that's what the Navi tells us. Parak Gimel Pasuk Yud, that Hashem sees their actions, He sees them changing their ways, not just their dress code. And of course, Hashem spares them. So that, that in and of itself is a beautiful and meaningful Haftarah. And it's, sim- it's, a, you know, it's a simple tale, but it conveys an impressively powerful and straightforward message in its own right. So some might argue that the story in its entirety should have ended there. So why not stop with that message? And yet, at the end of the day, the Navi has more to serve, and there's more that our liturgy wants us to see. We ultimately read not the book of Nineveh, but the entire book of Yonah, and the question we have to ask ourselves is why do we read the whole thing? So we'll have to explore Yonah's story for some more answers to that question. But uh, I'll remind everyone that we dedicated the Shirley Nishan Sini Rasi Chairachabas David Sihar Nikwaras Mishkava, her Nishama should have an Aliyah. I'm uh, as the hours late I completely forgot if I dedicated the Shir, so as we continue, just keep that dedication in mind. There are many questions to ask regarding Yonah's story and the narrative's ambiguity. For example, why is Yonah running away? But perhaps the simpler question that one has to ask first is why this random guy, Yonah, is chosen for the mission to warn Ninveh in the first place? There are many Nivean, and uh, Yonah doesn't appear to be one of Ninveh's wholesome leaders who would bear such responsibility. And considering that, for what reason, for whatever reason, he's not interested in the mission. So why is Hashem hassling Yonah? Why is Hashem sold on getting Yonah to be the one, the, the, who, who, you know, the one who doesn't want to go? So why is Hashem choosing him? And this seems a little bit similar to Hashem's selection of Moshe Rabbeinu and Shemos. Hashem manages to choose the least interested person for the job. Uh, and we know that Hashem has many messengers, so why was Yonah the one chosen here? So if the necessity of Yonah's appointment isn't clear enough from the outset, the story speaks for itself, as it demonstrates the apparent need for Yonah, no one else but Yonah, to fulfill the mission. Uh, for some reason, when Yonah's life could be rightfully be taken in a tragic shipwreck, or by drowning in the stormy seas, or even by being swallowed by a fish, scene after scene, he is spared miraculously by Hashem against undeniably unrealistic odds just so that he can live on and eventually venture towards that mission at Ninveh. As is also mentioned, it's through the Sefer, it's, it's throughout the Sefer that Yonah is the focal point of our attention. A major textual indicator of Yonah's centrality is perhaps based on the rare expression that we find throughout Yonah, Vayiman. That the, the Navi says that Hashem prepared, Hashem designated. Hashem is appointing different things. Right? We find this, this verb four times throughout the narrative, and three of them are consecutively. And in each of these uh, instances, we, the, the narrative is apparently telling us that there's a there's unique, godly, divine intervention, and it's seemingly for Yonah's purposes alone. Hashem designates and appoints a fish to save Yonah in the nick of time. As Yonah sorely watches Ninveh from afar in his little sukkah, his booth, Hashem appoints a kikayon plant, a gourd, to provide special shade for Yonah, after which Hashem appoints a worm to destroy the shade, whereupon he once again appoints a heat wave to afflict Yonah. Hashem eventually uses the kikayon plant as his parable to demonstrate his discontent with Yonah's 
insensitive feelings for Ninveh, his lack of understanding in Hashem's desire to show them mercy. The point is that we see a lot of divine attention being given to Yonah. Hashem is appointing things to target Yonah. So Yonah is apparently the necessary hero of the story, the protagonist, and the question is why. So I think Hashem's selection of Yonah may actually be due to his personal opposition. In fact, the Pirkei Rebbe explains that the fish which swallowed Yonah was actually designated during the six days of creation for the very purpose of sparing Yonah, suggesting that the grand scene of Yonah's struggle and flight is one which Hashem had long anticipated to address from almost the beginning of time. Yonah's opposition and readiness to forfeit his own life on more than one occasion, rather than bear the mission of Hashem, uh, that, that primary concern which is not going to be ignored. Bearing that in mind, it is Yonah's resistance, in a sense, that perhaps makes him Hashem's necessary appointee. More than Ninveh's repentance, Hashem's goal seems to be oriented especially for Yonah and his inflexibility. In other words, this story is much more about Yonah than it is about Ninveh. Yes, Ninveh and their teshuva, that's a component of the story. But... The Haftarah wants us to look at Yonah. The Navi, the whole book, wants us to look at Yonah. What exactly is the basis for Yonah's opposition? So the text, the Navi, doesn't really reveal very much. Um, some, some say, the Mepharshan say, Ram, I believe Rashi brings down, that Yonah um, understood Ninveh's association with, uh, with Bavel. Right? Uh, Ninveh, I believe, was a part of Ashur, part of Assyria. And Assyria would participate with Babel and the Gullus Babel that would target Klaistrel, the, fir- the first Khorban. And Yonah didn't want to give any extra merits to, to, the, to this people who would eventually target Klaistrel. So he didn't want them to do Teshuva. But Pashapshah, perhaps more fundamentally, Yonah was just opposed to the very idea of them being able to do Teshuva. Right, like, meaning Yonah doesn't want Ninveh to repent. Why not? After actually fulfilling Hashem's command to address Ninveh, Yonah actually spells out what is bothering him. He tells God that he knew that God would get soft and reconsider concerning the evil. Vinicham alara, he was going to overlook the evil. Apparently, Yonah feels that Ninveh doesn't deserve that their evil be overlooked that Hashem should stick with simple justice, with judgment. Why should Hashem compromise justice anyway? Why should a sinner get a second chance? Who says that teshuva is even a fair option? So Yonah has thus pinned down Ninveh with his persistent but fair, quote-unquote, desire for unadulterated justice. Yonah seems to be coming from the right place, but being that Hashem has made his command very clear and has gone against Yonah's wishes, there's enough evidence for the claim that Yonah was apparently wrong. That Yonah is the one doing the wrong thing. That Hashem made his message blatantly clear at the end of the Sefer when he causes Yonah to suffer much discomfort as he scorches Yonah with that heat wave. So why did Hashem have to do this? Now, Hashem could have explained himself to Navi. He doesn't have to force his opinion upon Yonah. There is certainly a deeper meaning behind Hashem's peculiar treatment of Yonah at the end of the Sefer. Right? The, the story could have ended with Ninveh's teshuva, but no. Hashem didn't leave Yonah alone, and neither does our Haftarah. Right? After Yonah completes the task, Hashem 
is not finished. His goal is for Yona not just to do the task, but to understand the task. Yona hadn't learned the mysterious lesson of life as Hashem initially intended. In that last chapter of the Haftarah, Yona particularly enjoys the shade of this odd kikayon plant. And when Hashem takes it away and brings the heat wave, Yona wants to die. It's at that point where God admonishes him. And he argues that if Yona felt pity because of the kikayon, which he had never himself toiled for, why shouldn't Hashem pity the city of Nineveh? What's the simple message? That God has declared mercy. So Yona, who himself clearly desired some form of mercy, whether for the kikayon or for himself, he should have been more understanding. He should have allowed the bestowment of Hashem's mercy upon others. To take matters a step further, maybe we could argue that the kikayon and the lack of Yona's toil in and of itself is a euphemism for Yona, who also was granted this, his own gift of life. I'll point out something interesting that I, that I haven't seen anywhere else, but the word kikayon is what's referred to in the academic circles as hapax legomenon. What does that mean? The word kikayon appears only once in Tanakh. It appears in this story. And to me, at least, the word kikayon seems to contain these phonetic connections to another form of Yonah's undeserved mercy, which is granted directly from Hashem. And the word kikayon might even be a pun off the earlier verse, vayakei esiona. Vayakei esiona, the word kikayon, sounds like the words vayakei esiona, a reference to the fish spitting Yonah out. Alternatively, we find that the Navi also states that the sailors who did not want to throw Yonah off the ship, they say we don't want to spill Dham and Naki. Naki also contains all the same letters of the word Kikayon. Naki means innocent. Now we know Yonah was not innocent. Despite the fact that Yonah was not innocent, the sailors wanted to give him the chance of someone who perhaps could be innocent. What is my point? That piece after piece in the story, what are we seeing? We are seeing Yonah, who is somehow Zoha, or maybe not even Zoha by his own merit, but Hashem allows for him the schos, the privilege of second chances. Second chances when he's running away on the boat from Tarshish, away from Ninveh. The sailors are trying their best not to kill him. Then they ultimately throw him into the water, into the river, and yet Yonah's granted another second chance. He's inside a fish. And yet Yonah is spewed out of the fish. He's vomited out of the fish. Another chance. And then finally, Yonah makes it to Ninveh. And then there, he's given another present from Hashem, a kikoyon. Right? We see, we see it throughout the story. So again, Yonah's thrown overboard on his way to his rightful death dis- for disobeying Hashem. Hashem provides him a new haven inside a fish. Yonah thanks Hashem while inside the fish, but Yonah does not seem to, uh, to appreciate the need for Hashem's gift of mercy. Why doesn't he get it? Does he appreciate the opportunity to return to Hashem, to be given the opportunity of teshuva? He appears to at first, right? When he's given the chance to give Ninveh a chance, Yonah does go. He sends his brief message, and he, and he you know, he, Yonah literally himself has the second chance to do what Hashem told him to do. So he doesn't want Ninveh to have that same opportunity? That's the message. Finally, when Yonah is grieving over Hashem's mercy for the people of Ninveh, having experienced all of the messages, 
Hashem sends His mercy in that last incident of the Kikayon, only to show Yonah what it's like when that mercy is taken away. Just as Hashem designated a fish to spare Yonah, He designates a Kikayon to shade him. Two displays of mercy. But then Hashem designates a worm to remove that source of mercy, and then the heat wave to smite the, the guilty individual. We have two displays now of fairness and justice. Right, first, again, we had the fish protecting Yonah, the Kikayon protecting Yonah, and now we have the worm causing Yonah's affliction, the heat wave causing Yonah's affliction. And then when Yonah's in pain, he begins to understand the need for mercy. Yes, but when it's his own problem. He's taught to question what it is that man in general is ever entitled to, what man ever truly deserves by his own merit. And he's taught that man, at every moment of life, runs on Hashem's mercy. Right? That is why when man was created, the Chumash tells us that it wasn't just Elohim that created him, but it was Hashem, yod kei vav kei. The, 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 the tetragrammat, the, the four-letter name of Hashem, which tells us that there is a name of mercy. Because man cannot live without Hashem's mercy. And until that point, the mission wasn't complete. Until Yonah would be willing not just to listen to Hashem's command, but to understand Hashem's command, to give and to grant, to appreciate the constant teshuva, the second chance to be given to others. So until that happened, Yonah's personal teshuva was not met. And I believe that the book of Yonah in its entirety is teaching us several lessons that are important for us to think about in Yom Kippur. Of course, it's not just about the teshuva of Ninveh. That's one prat, that is one detail. We learn a lesson that, of course, you can't run away from Hashem. If there's one lesson we're supposed to learn on Yom Kippur, maybe it's that, that Hashem sees everything, He's judging everything, whether we're at sea, whether we're at home, whether we're inside the mouth of a fish. Hashem is constantly overseeing everything. Maybe the theme of, of Hashem's mercy, that we run on Hashem's mercy, as we pointed out when we, when we um, in the archives, when we were talking about Unasana Tokef, Go back to Baltifield Workshop for Musaf for Hashem and Yom Kippur. Go back to Maxner Manager. The idea that Hashem is not just in the call of the shofar gadol, the, the powerful, booming voice of the shofar, but Hashem is in the call of Mamadaka, in the thin, still voice, representative of mercy. Hashem wants to grant us mercy for all of His creatures, even for the non-Jews of Ninveh, even for the animals in Ninveh. Certainly for Yonah, Hashem wants to give second chances. And of course, multidimensional teshuva. Multiple elements, multiple balei teshuva in our story. Right? Think about how we find the teshuva, not just of the city of Ninveh, but the crew of lowly, idolatrous individuals, the sailors on the boat, who, once they realized, once Yonah told them, the only reason we are all being punished on this ship is because of my defiance of God, and then all of the sailors do teshuva, the same sailors that want to give Yonah a second chance, so the sailors did teshuva, Ninveh does teshuva. And before we get to the very end, Yonah perhaps engages in teshuva as well. We see teshuva of non-Jews. We see teshuva of unaffiliated. We see teshuva of even the religious. I believe the book at large shows us that even when one can look his sin in the face and be willing to sacrifice something great, his own life, for the sake of justice, no plus can truly substitute for Hashem's primary will of a person. And that is that the book of Yonah stresses further that the only true dayanu mochiach, 
the judge and source of reproof, that it's no one else's role to scrutinize other people's actions and intentions or to question another person's entitlement to divine mercy. Because we're all constantly given undeserved mercy. We all bear blame, and we all want the opportunity to have teshuva. We all have the potential to grow and to better ourselves through teshuva. We all can make good use of teshuva and Hashem's rachamim. It's therefore time to stop looking at others, their faults, and instead look at ourselves. It's time to receive Musr without thinking of our peers, and rather understanding that perhaps Hashem's message is equally talking to us. Sometimes we think, look, I'm the religious one, I'm just, I'm observant. So who, you know, who, 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 who's asking me to do teshuva? But Yonah was, was religious. Were we more religious and fair than Yonah? And yet he, wasn't, he didn't slip from under the radar of teshuva. He required Hashem's mercy as well. And that is stressed in the entirety of the book. That teshuva for us, perhaps as for Yonah, may entail not judging others. Realizing our place in this world as individuals who, like even idolatrous sailors or socially imperfect society in Inve, they also have to improve. So we have to improve our personal attributes to bring ourselves closer to Hashem. Right? It's like Hashem implicitly suggests to Yonah that we have to appreciate and capitalize on Hashem's mercy and the teshuva as it befits us. Stop, stop thinking about other people and whether or not it's fair that they get the opportunity to do teshuva. Focus on yourself. Hashem says to Yonah, yeah, I want to invade teshuva. If you're focusing on yourself, you'll, you know, you'll realize that you need my mercy too and that you'll do teshuva. But maybe a first step is just being down the kafskis for other people and allowing for Hashem's rachamim to be possible. I believe that's really what this haftar is about. Multi-dimensional teshuva, the need for rachamim throughout, and being able to see it from all those dimensions. And in that schus, we should be zocha to engage in teshuva, whatever level we are on, whether we are with the sailors, whether we are with the people of Nineveh, or whether we are with Yonah himself. We all stand on different levels in our relationship with Hashem, and we all require Hashem's rachamim. We should be zochah to that rachamim. We should be zochah to that opportunity to teshuva and to capitalize on that teshuva. And in that we should have a gemar chasimatova. As always, if you enjoyed the share and others like it on the podcast and want to partner with us with a sponsorship or if you have questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group, where you can find links that I've uploaded to share and links to share them that I repost due to their relevance. And all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data then base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. Until next time, have a wonderful day. I'm Kippur, and thank you for joining us here at the database.